you got a problem, just kind of go. Yeah. Good deal. Hey, this is, a que- this is a question for the guys. Hey, guys, guys, uh, dudes, whatever you want to call them. Hey, um, do you guys ever, like, do something that you think will be cool and it gets out of hand? <laughs> like, okay, like, you know, you're driving a car and you want to see how fast it'll go. And then you realize when you hit over 100 that you could die. And then you, like, are scared. Why weren't you scared 50 miles an hour earlier, you know? But anyway, so, so some, of the, some things that got out of hand in my life. When, um, by the way, the title of this message is bigger than. You need to remember that as I'm introing this, okay? So um, when uh, I was a pastor in uh, Carruthersville, Missouri, there was a young man who I was mentoring. His name was Drew Darnell. And uh, today he is an Anglican priest planting missional communities out east, which is super cool. And, uh, but anyway, uh, Drew and I, were, we were going to buff the dining room floor, Anyone ever buffed a floor before? I mean, just, just kind of, okay, it's a good deal. Dining room floor of a church. So it's, it was a room about, I don't know, half the size of this one in the same kind of tile. We had never done it before, but right, how hard could it be, right? Funniest moment of my life. So Drew, it gets, he takes it and he loses control. You ever lost control of a floor buffer? Here's the thing. All he had to do was let go of the trigger and it would have stopped. But he panicked and couldn't let go. And I couldn't help him because I was laughing so hard. <laughs> I was like, just like, just like, oh, just let go. Oh, you got to just. Anyway, so finally he wound himself totally up, broke two tables, and it yanked out of the wall, and he was saved. So probably his guardian angel over there yanking it out going, this is too funny. He's going to die of a heart attack, and he's just going to die. So sometimes things get out of hand in life. Drew doesn't remember that story nearly as fondly as I do, by the way. <laughs> Every now and then he messages me about it. Do you remember the floor buffer? I'm like, uh, no, I forgot all about that. But anyway, <laughs> you got to be careful in life. The things you choose. My mother-in-law several years ago decided she was going to collect porcelain bunnies. You moms in the room that have had children that are grown, do you realize how dangerous it, is to, dangerous it is to start collecting something? Now she has a room that's wall-to-wall porcelain bunnies. You go in there, and it's creepy. I mean, it's something out of a... <laughs> She makes us sleep in there when we're there, and I just, I don't know. But anyway, so things just get out of hand. You know, you get, the, you get the cute puppy, and, you know, it's supposed to be a mixed breed, and you find out the breed it's mixed with is Great Dane, and it's a lot bigger, you know. Um, a little debt turns into a mountain. A little ice cream turns into 30 pounds. The new house remodel turns into the Winchester house, the remodel that will never end, you know. Things just kind of grow on you. And before you know it, you got a problem, and, and that's not how all of our problems come into being. Some of them just surprise us, but some of them, they started out small, and they just started growing. And so the epiphany I had for this message as I uh, was reading, so I'm teaching through this series, this series on the book of Colossians, and, and really the, the concept of the book is how Jesus is just, he is enough. But what happens in life is a lot of times our problems, and by the way, our problems, our worries, the things that are dragging us down emotionally and spiritually right now, they're lies. They're lies. And here's how they're lies. Every one of those problems is trying to declare itself as a Lord in your life. Your problem is saying to you, you can't handle this. I'm bigger than you. I'm, I'm bigger than your God. I'm bigger than your finances. I'm bigger than your family. I'm bigger than your security. Every problem is screaming at you. Every worry, every anxiety is screaming at you how big it is. But Paul, in the letter of Colossians, presents a solution to big problems. And the solution is this, a bigger Jesus. So Paul has some interesting approaches in his letters. I love the New Testament. If you guys, any of you guys like to study and study books, man, the New Testament is amazing. There's so many nuances, so many cool things. But when Paul writes, you know, when he, when he writes those letters, he's writing to churches, and every letter's got a little bit different deal. Church of Corinth, he's dealing with sin, and he nails it to the wall. Church of Galatians, he's dealing with deception. False teachers have come in and tried to trick them into living under an imagined set of rules or a, Judaic, Judea, a Jewish system. <laughs> Paul said it so much better than I did. But I love Colossians because... Paul had never met the Colossians, okay? 
He didn't know these people personally. He knew them secondhand. Other people in his ministry had gone to minister to him. And so he didn't know their sins. He didn't know the the false teachers. And so he came at them with the absolute purest answer for any problem. And like I said last week, Colossians is the reason that I say, I don't know what the problems are in life. I just know the answer, and his name is Jesus. And that is Colossians is the one that gives there. So let's jump into Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to start reading at verse 15. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. I'm going to read through this, and we're going to break it down in a minute, okay? So just bear with me. He's the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see, the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities, and the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else. He holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He's the beginning, supreme over all, who rise from the dead. So he's first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet, now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he's brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. But... You must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world. And I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. Is that a good word? Man, I love Colossians, man. So this, our topic today, we're just going to talk about Jesus for a while. And at the end, I'm going to give you a little way that you can apply it, just a simple process to apply what this means. But today we're going to talk about Jesus. My goal is just to help you see how big he is. I believe it was A.W. Tozer that once said that in our lives, our largest problem is that our understanding of God is just too small. So my goal is to enlarge your comprehension of who God is. Let me also say this. No matter how large it is, It will never even come close to scratching the surface of how large God is and how big Jesus is in you and how big his spirit is in you. So let's go about and look at what Paul's doing. Now, again, he's given the answer to all the questions, all the problems, okay? So whatever I ask you while I go, if you had a problem, something probably flashed in your mind. So you need to right now, at least mentally, you need to put that problem over in the problem column. Maybe you have several problem columns. And then over on the right-hand side, the good side, you're going to put Jesus in that column. And that's all you're going to put there. And now let's talk about how Jesus is the answer to that. First, Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Let's say that together. One, two, three. Jesus is God. Okay? Now, the Bible tells us in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, that Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Now think about this. He's the visible image of the invisible God. What is, what's Paul trying to help us wrap our heads around here? How many of you guys have read, just you can just give me a nod, have you read the Old Testament and God in the Old Testament kind of freaked you out? You're like, ooh, I don't want to get on his bad side. And that kind of was the point, by the way. <laughs> when, you get into the, when you read the Old Testament, you're encountering a God who is holy who is awesome, and he's a God who is spiritual. The Bible says God is spirit. That means he means it means he lives in a realm that is outside the realm you live in. God exists outside, uh, beyond quantum physics, there's God out there, okay? That's where he exists. Now he's here too. I don't want you to think he's like, um, you know, way out there or something. He's here with us. But God exists in a realm that we can't see into. So we encounter this God of the Old Testament. We're encountering this holy, 
way too perfect and frighteningly awesome God. That is what the Old Testament is supposed to connect you with, how holy and awesome and above you and other than you God is. Does that make sense? Now I come to the New Testament and everybody loves the Jesus of the New Testament because they don't read the Gospels. I'll just throw that out there. They read the Gospels, Jesus would freak you out too. But here's the thing. When you read the story of Jesus Christ and you learn you know, how he approached life and these kind of things, now you are seeing what God looks like, how God behaves. In the Old Testament, we have a God who, who kills indiscriminately, wipes out nations, who, who, who uh, makes people, requires their holiness. In the New Testament, same God but now we see God as a man. Now we see God crying, weeping over the lostness of the nation of Israel. Now we see God touching people and taking away their diseases, and by the way, theologically, and putting them on himself so that he could suffer and die for them. There was great cost for Jesus to heal. Now you see God among us. Are they different gods? No. No, God the Father reveals to you the awesomeness and holiness of God. God the Son reveals to you the love and tender compassion and mercy of the same God. Does that make sense? So when you look at Jesus, you read his story, and you hear his words, that is how God feels about you, how he relates to you, how he cares about you. But he has not stopped being awesome and holy and perfect. God the Father shows up, and his awe will lay you out. God the Son shows up, they're the same, and his compassion and his heart for you will help you reconnect with the term a friend of God. Make sense? So Jesus teaches us about God. He shows us what God is really like. The Old Testament is so critical for understanding God, but Jesus is the interpretation of all of that. He translates what you see in the Old Testament into the compassion and the love in the new. But by the way, let me just throw this out there. You really need to read the Gospels yourself. Because the modern worldly view of Jesus is not actually him. They cut out all the harsh things he says, or the direct things he says that are truly loving, and, and they come up with a Jesus that's like, yo, bro, it's my Jesus. Sorry, that was my attempt at cool, and you can see how well I'm doing with that. <laughs> Jesus is God because he shows us the invisible God. Jesus is also fully God, verse 19. I'm going to jump around the text, but I'll get back in order in just a second. In verse 19, Paul writes, for, for God in all his fullness, God in all of his fullness, so that, that's all of God, right? That makes sense? God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. So Jesus isn't God edited. He isn't God 2.0. He isn't God light. He isn't God junior. Jesus is God. He's fully God. Does that make sense? I know we're getting into a, a Trinitarian view here, but just wrap your head around the fact that Jesus fully embraces the fullness of God. So when you worship Jesus, you're worshiping God. I think there's a couple things that I could help you with that might help you with that. One is the transfiguration. I think God gave us the transfiguration to help us wrap our head around the fullness of God that's in Jesus. So what is the transfiguration? Okay, so Peter, James, and John, Jesus takes them up into a mountain, okay? Jesus liked to take disciples on these prayer meeting things. He gets up there and Jesus had, apparently, they didn't know, but Jesus had coffee with God. There must have been a Starbucks up there or something, and they're like, Jesus and God are gonna meet. In that process, the, the Bible says that Jesus began to glow like the brightest and whitest light one translation that cracks me up, it's a modern translation, it says he was brighter than the, the whitest bleach. <laughs> I don't know if that's the message or what, but anyway, so that might be the redneck version. I mean, the cotton patch. Anyway, I don't know, but <clears throat> I read a lot of them. But anyway, he's up there and he just, all of a sudden what happens is, is that because he's in communion with his father in the presence of his disciples, that the fullness of God that's in him begins to overwhelm the humanity of man that's on him. And so they begin to see Jesus. And, and, and I love Peter. Peter's just like, Peter's the kind of guy that when he's shocked, he's too stupid to say nothing. You know, just like me. You know, like, 
There's a void. Let's fill it with dumb words. That's me, okay? So Peter's that. And he's like, oh, we should build like some tabernacles to honor this moment. This moment was so powerful that when, when you read the letters of First and Second Peter, which were written decades later, you find out that the transfiguration was a pivotal point. It basically fills the book. The same with First John. He was there. The first chapter of First John is a direct hook into the transfiguration. They never got over that experience is what I'm trying to tell you. That's the fullness of God. The other thing is a lot of people tell you that Jesus never claimed to be God. And uh, so you're going to encounter that some maybe in your philosophy, falafel classes, philosophy, same thing, same thing. Anyway, so in those classes. So here's the thing. Uh, you got to remember that Jesus Christ was condemned for blasphemy. What's that? He claimed to be God. He was actually convicted of claiming to be God. So the next time someone tells you, well, Jesus never actually claimed to be God, you can say, uh, I love you and I'm trying not to be a jerk to you right now, but that's stupid. <laughs> I'm just kidding, don't do that. I used to do that, but I'm older and, and a lot, and, and I'm, never mind. So, my, so when we talk about Jesus being fully God, I, you've heard me say this before, maybe if you've heard me some, but here's the thing. Jesus claimed to be God and was convicted for it. Here's your deal. I don't know where you're at in your faith journey. Most of you in this room are probably already walking in faith, and that is so cool. But here's the thing. If you're still waffling on it, and you don't know about Jesus, you got to decide this. Jesus claimed to be God. Now, there are those out there that say, well, I don't think he was God, but he was a good man. And Islam claims that he was a prophet. But let me tell you, when a guy says, I am God, and you say, well, I don't know if he's God, but he's a good man. That's an impossibility. That is a mutually exclusive conclusion. Do you understand? If he says he's God and he's not, then he's a liar. If he says he's God and he is, then he better be your Lord. Make sense? Okay. Jesus is God. Second, Jesus is bigger than some things. He's bigger than first creation. Jesus is bigger than creation. And so Paul writes this in verse 15. He existed before anything and was created, I mean, before anything was created, excuse me, and is supreme over all creation. Jesus is not part of creation. I realize that can be a conundrum for you when you read your Bible, and you don't, as far as you know, you don't encounter a Jesus in the Old Testament. But there is Jesus in the Old Testament. There are these these uh, presences, these people that show up that theology calls pre-incarnate Christ. They are Christ showing up in the Old Testament. The Bible teaches he's always been around. Yes, he was born. You can read that story in Matthew and Luke, but that's, that doesn't mean Jesus just arrived in Matthew and Luke. That just means that the God who was the son and who was present at creation, which I'll show you in just a second, was, came and lived in and became a human being. He became creation. Does that make sense? So Jesus is, the thing is, he's over creation. Now, listen, I don't want to miss the point. He existed before anything else was created. And John said it this way in John 1. He said, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You read Genesis, you say that, that in the beginning, there was, the earth was without form and void, and then it says, God said. And that's how the apostle John identifies God the Son in Genesis chapter 1. That make sense? It's a little weird, but you're still with me? 23% of you. 70% of all statistics are made up on the spot. Just throwing that out. All right, so now, everything was created through Jesus. So verse 16. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see. This, I, I, I'm going to take a little dodge here. I would ask for forgiveness, but you're, you're very generous to me, so you'll let me have it. It says he made the things we can see and the things we can't see. And then Paul goes into this like self-appointed parenthesis that says such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. So I don't want to develop that right now. I just want to ask you, what do you think that means? That should kind of point you in the direction that there's a reason you feel like there's a lot more going on in this world than meets your eyes because God created a lot more that can be experienced with the five senses. Okay. But Jesus is over that. He created all of that. He's the artist. Everything else is the art. He's the author. Everything else is the novel. He's the composer. Everything else is just the notes. Governments, 
clever inventions, even your iPhone or Android phone, they all come from Jesus. They do. He created everything. If you ever had a creative idea, do you know where it came from? Jesus. He's the creator. He, everything is created through him. Everything. Even the things you create are created through him. Even demons, all things are created. They were all imagined and created good. They were all imagined and created good. But there were some things that were twisted by pride. And that's the world we live in. A, a world twisted by pride. Jesus made it all. It was all made through him. And everything was made for him. And so it says at the end of verse 16, everything was made, everything was created through him and for him. For him. Please wrap your head around this. All of it created for him. Largest star, greatest galaxy, lowest demon, all created for his honor and glory. All of it. You, me, everything you see, everything you don't even know about yet, all created for Jesus. It's all a gift to him. What is important about that? Everyone, everything, even the devil himself, will ultimately recognize that they were created for Jesus. Ultimately. Let me share a verse with you out of Philippians. Therefore God elevated him, and speaking of Jesus, so God elevated Jesus to the place of highest honor, gave him the name above all other names, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Guys, this is why, although I love people and I respect people and where they are. This is why I can never say things like all religions are equal or any sincere path will get you to heaven. Jesus said in John 14, 10, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one, Jesus said this, no one comes to the Father except through me. If I, if I stand up and I were to, to, and here's the, there's a difference between accepting people and affirming wrong beliefs. And I can accept people, and I can love people, and I can care for people. But I cannot say, well, you're a sincere Buddhist, and that'll probably work out for you. I can't say that. I, or, or any other faith. Even churchianity. Well, I kind of rolled through slow, but... I mean, there are a lot of people that think they're church... Or even the Bible is going to get them to heaven. And man, I love the word. But the only way there is a personal relationship with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. By the way, I said earlier, you really should read his gospels because he really does not have room in the Christian faith for a Christian faith that doesn't make him the Lord and priority of it. And that's something that really has to be understood. Okay? All this earth is created by Jesus, it's created through Jesus, and created for Jesus. And right now, Jesus is the one holding it all together. Jesus is holding it together. Verse 17, I love this verse. It says, he existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Somehow Jesus is doing this. So in 2008, Louis Giglio did this awesome uh, sermon series, and one of them was called How, How Great Is Our God, I think was the name of it. And in that, he introduced the concept of laminin. And it's been very controversial ever since. But in that sermon, so laminin is a protein that holds cells together. And on a cellular level, under a microscope and on a chart, it looks like a cross. And so he presented that in the sermon. And it was cool because everybody listening was Christians, you know, and they're like, yeah, Jesus is holding it all together. But here's the thing. The reason Louis Giglio and the biochemist that pointed it out to him noticed it was because of Colossians 1.17. My faith does not rest upon a protein. My faith rests on God's word. Does that make sense? So don't let your faith rest on this ch chicken soup for the soul ideas out there. I'm sorry, did I insult someone? I didn't mean to. A lot of people had a lot of cool, sentimental ideas about God, and they're nice, and they can give us good experiences and fuzzy feel-goods, but I want your faith rested on God's word. Okay, does that make sense? God's word I can trust. 
I might change, the world might change, culture will definitely change. I mean, come on, I was a teenager in the 80s when we were cool. I don't know what happened. I'm just kidding. I wish I could show you some pictures of my hair back then. I had so much hair. Christy can. We used to have a wall of shame in our, I mean, a wall of of memories in our house that had my hair through the ages. Jesus is the one that holds all of this together. And so we just need to wrap our heads around that and rest it on God's word. Now, Jesus is God. Jesus is bigger than creation. Jesus is also bigger than the church. Jesus is bigger than the church. So look at verse 18. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. Christ is the head of the church, which is his body. Okay, what's that mean? A lot of people look at church in a lot of ways. Usually they're organizational. Uh, Sometimes they're connected to a building. But we have these ideas. In fact, of course, being a pastor, I get a lot of things shared with me through Facebook and through email about, you know, what's wrong with the church today and why the millennials are leaving church and why, the, why everybody, you know, blah, 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 blah. Okay. And, and I'm not dismissing those. I really am not. I, I read those, learn what I can, and then discard what I can't do anything about. But you've got to understand, guys, Jesus Christ, the Christian faith, isn't designed to be popular. It's designed to save souls. It's designed to make us godly. And so I understand. So people are going to come, find out what the real cost is of being a Christian, and they're going to walk away. That's just, the, that's just a reality. I, I can't change that. I, and I wouldn't change that. I, I wish I could change people's hearts so they could embrace it because life with Jesus is so much better than life in the world. But nonetheless, the church is more than an organization. And so I, that's why uh, we're a non-denominational church. My heart, and although I respect all, I mean, all forms of Bible-based church, okay, out there, people who teach the Bible, I respect them all, even if, even if they're wrong and disagree with me. <laughs> Just kidding. We try and major on the majors around here and not fight about all that peripheral stuff. So, but my, my preference has always been for local autonomous churches over denominational churches. It because, I, because Jesus is the head of the church. Now, he establishes pastors and church leaders and deacons and all these different offices in the church. But that's not so that they lead the church. That's so Jesus can lead the church through them. So anytime you're in a leadership role in church, whether it's kids' church or, or VBS or anything, even if you're just teaching a class, you've... The heart has to be, I'm going to be led by Jesus. This isn't about what makes me happy and comfortable. This is about what Jesus wants and what Jesus died for. I didn't die for the church. I'm not qualified. And I'm also allergic to pain. Jesus did, okay? He's the head of the church. He controls the church. And he guides the church through his spirit and the word. I think that needs to be embraced, It's not just the word. It's the spirit and the word. And so we need to to kind of wrap our heads around what that means in the church and in the New Testament. So that means the church is dependent upon Christ. So a lot of times in history, churches have kind of decided they were their own Lord. It has happened. And they decided that they could be Jesus because they didn't have a connection to him. And things always go sideways when that happens. All right. He's Lord over the church. Also, in being Lord of the church, he reigns over death. Verse 18. Jesus, I'm looking at that clock, and it quit working. So that's the one I'm going by today. So I got five hours to go, or four, or something like that. Verse 18. Jesus, he's the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. He's the first in everything. Jesus reigns over death. Do you know why? Because he's alive. Jesus is alive. He's more than just alive. He's life. So in evolutionary science, most scientists will present an idea many, 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 many millions of years ago that there was an explosion of life on the planet, and that's how things began to evolve. And so although I disagree with their timeline, I totally agree with the reality. There was an explosion of life, and his name was Jesus Christ. He exploded with life. The planet's filled with life. All these perfectly, beautifully designed creatures that he designed 
on this planet. Then he came to the planet because the planet got twisted by pride and sin. And then he came, became life on earth, taught life, lived life, demonstrated life, gave life, healed people with life, died on a cross, and then he lifed again. That's how Jesus rolls. Jesus' life. <laughs> so he beat death, whipped it good, whipped it but good. Anyway, so this morning I was uh, praying on this message and I had a, an epiphany. Uh, I, there's, a, there's a teacher I used to love to listen to. I hadn't listened to him in a while, but his name is Norm Wakefield. And one of the things he's pretty famous for saying is, is that uh, the human desire is basically to be happy and comfortable. We want to be happy and comfortable. And by that, I include security and all those things, possessions, what have you. And so I was praying this morning and, and been struggling with my, you ever struggle with your happy? Some, some, so this week I've been struggling a little bit with my happy. And, um, it's, and it's all my fault, you know. But I'm struggling with my happy and I'm like, God, just, why am I happy? And then he goes, you know, I hear this, I just kind of get this vibe and God's like, well, who said you should be happy? And I'm like, I like being happy. <laughs> and then, then I heard him say this. He goes, well, you know what? I created you to be happy. I'm like, I think that's the devil. Because, you know, I, I grew up in a pretty rigid system, you know. I don't know if that's God or not. He said, oh, yeah. My son told you exactly how to do it in the Beatitudes. And I began to think about the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the persecuted. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed, in some translations, has been translated happy. And God lays out this path of how to enter into happiness. And I realize a lot of things I do in my life because they give me a measure of happy, not because they make me happy. Isn't that what we do? We chase the vacations, the possessions, the relationships, because we just, we just want to be happy. The money, we just want to be happy. And all those things in the past have given us a measure of happiness, but they didn't make us, they didn't recreate us, they didn't reform us into happy. What makes us truly happy? What reforms us? Life. Jesus. What is eternal life? Jesus said that he is eternal life. He is eternal life. Yes, of course he said the only way to the Father is through me, but he also threw in there, I am eternal life. And he was teaching us that in relationship with him, that's living. That's happiness. Does that make sense? So Jesus is life. So when we talk about Jesus being life, we mean a lot more than he gives life, although he does give life. First Thessalonians chapter four, gotta read this. I mean, how can you not read this when you're talking about Jesus' life? The Lord himself, I love this, so I'm gonna read it the way I want to. <clears throat> the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout and the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And first, the believers who've died will rise from their graves. That'll be cool. Hope I get to see that. I need to move next to a cemetery. Verse 17. Then, together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up to the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. That's what it means to have life. You're not going to die. You're going to live. My friend, Larry Gillingham, passed away last week. He was ready to go. He closed his eyes on this earth. He didn't see death. The Bible says if you believe in me, you'll never see death. John chapter 8. He closed his eyes in death, breathed his last. Jesus was there. Took his spirit home to heaven, gave him a temporary body, according to what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15. But one day, we don't know when, could be soon, could be long. We don't know. Jesus is coming back. He promised. He said, when, said, I'm preparing a place for you. When it's ready, I'm coming to get you. He's coming back. He'll get us all, and we'll be reunited. And, and God's going to raise Larry's body from the grave that I'm sure they'll bury somewhere, or maybe it'll be ashes and cremated. It doesn't matter. God knows molecular chemistry just fine. And he'll pull them together, and it'll be a new body created in a way that can endure and enjoy the holiness and awesomeness of the Father God, Jesus' life. It means a lot more than just the sentence. Amen? Jesus reigns over death because he's life. And verse 20, Jesus has the power to save you. Through Jesus, God reconciled everything to himself, and he made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. 
Have you ever been in a powerless situation? In fact, usually that's the root of our problems, or maybe not the root, but it's what stresses us out. We have a problem we actually can't fix. If you have a problem you can't, you should do that. But obviously, we can't always do that. It's like sometimes life is, you ever been in a car accident? And that serene, when you, am I dying? Oh, okay. (laughs) Jesus' life! (laughs) Let me go. No, I'm just kidding. I'm ready to go to heaven, but my bill collector's not ready for me to leave yet. So, um, anyway. You're like in a car accident, and it gets that surreal moment where you realize what's happening. Everything kind of slows down as your body starts dumping adrenaline in your system, and then you begin to see things, and you're out of control. There's nothing you can do, and you just kind of hope it doesn't end too badly. That happened to me a few years ago. I was on the way to the airport. I worked for McDonald's at the time, and uh, we were, I was going through the mountains uh, and the valley there before Park City. No, before... Um, yeah, we'll just say Park City, it doesn't matter. But an elk had been downed by a truck before me in the middle of the road. It was the middle of the night, and it was kind of it was some ice going on. I thought it was just some black ice until it was too late. And so I straddled it with my little uh, Lexus car, which is kind of like a Toyota Camry. I straddled it, and I jumped it. And while I was in the air, <clears throat> and the car sounded like an airplane dying, going, <laughs> wheels need to touch the ground, you know, that kind of stuff. As I'm flying through the air, I'm going, I'm going to wake up in a hospital somewhere. <laughs> And God somehow got the car, uh, the car back on the ground. And it didn't even hurt the car. It was the craziest thing ever. I don't know what happened. Uh, my angel, though, my guardian angel is probably very stressed. But anyway, <laughs> took care of me, got me down. I, in that moment when it's all happening, everything just kind of slows down. And you're like, oh, what, what's going to happen? Sometimes life is like that. And we can't save ourselves. What's this have to do with Jesus? Well, turns out he's a savior. He saves us. That's good. That's helpful. I, one of the passages I quote to myself a lot is that passage out of Romans. It says, if, if you call in the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. And I know it's kind of become a gospel presentation for a lot of people, and that's how they help people come to the, their initial defining moment. But for me, I figure the promise of salvation is good from beginning until I get home. And so anytime I feel like I need saved, that, that I should be, just be able to cry for it. I mean, God's still good, right? He doesn't just save you and go like, ah, just hang out and I'll come get you one day. (laughs) A lot of people think that. No, he wants to be with us every step of the way. That also applies to people in our lives. I don't know who this is for, but it's for somebody. Sometimes you can't save people. I'm sorry. I, I know that we would like to, but think of it this way. If you could save people, then you would be their savior. And I don't mean to hurt your feelings, but you would make a lousy savior. (laughs) They need a better savior than you. They need a savior who's good and true and who will never leave them. So we need to bring Jesus into those situations. Jesus has the power to save. He's, He's God. He's bigger than creation. He's bigger than the church. And lastly, he's bigger than me. He is for sure bigger than me. Not only is he bigger than me because he can save, but because he desires to save. Have you ever thought about how much Jesus wants to save you? Verse 21. This includes you, who are once far away from God. You were his enemies. Let me pause there for a second. You were his enemies separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Have you ever considered yourself an enemy of God. Most people haven't. Most people are like, well, I just don't know what to think about God. Or, I, you know, I just, you know, I don't know what God, I don't know about Jesus. And they're just kind of, you know, in that stage where they don't want to decide. God says that's not true. That's a lie you're telling yourself when you think that you are neutral in the war against light and dark. He's saying you're actually an enemy of God because of the things you say and the things you do. That there's evidence for you being his enemy. Verse 22, yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. And as a result, he has brought you into his own presence. And listen to this. And if you don't have this underlined somewhere, you need to. You need to write it down. You need to memorize it. You need to quote it to yourself every day. You are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single 
fault. That is God's word. I'm not saying that. That's not me spreading sunshine on you. This is the truth made available and possible and enacted by Jesus Christ. That's awesome. Our sins have separated us from God, made us his enemies, our actions, but Jesus fixed the problem. We couldn't do anything. We can't save ourselves. We try. Lord knows we try. We try to be better. We try to fix ourselves. We try and clean ourselves off before we come to God. God says, don't waste your time on that stuff. Just surrender right where you are. I'll do the cleaning. I'll do the making holy. I'll do the saving. That's how God saves us completely and entirely. There's nothing you can add to it, nothing you can do about it, nothing you could have done to change your situation. God did it because he wanted to. He wants to save you. He wants to forgive you. He wants you. He wants you to be happy. The problem is you live in a world that has no idea how to be happy, but they have better billboards better commercials and they're really selling unhappy and while God's saying hey here's the way to be happy surrender let go trust me I fixed the problem for you this is why we need a a big picture of Jesus he needs to be so much more I mean it is great if Jesus is your friend But he's more than a friend. He's a Lord. He's a king. He's a mighty warrior. The bigger Jesus is for you, the more it helps you in your life, and the more it helps you help others. How many of you guys have been to Yellowstone? Well, you don't have to raise your hand. We live, I mean, surely no one, never mind. I know what happens. You live close. You're like, I'll go anytime, and then you don't. The thing is, though, people from out of state, they'll, they'll ask you, what do you think about Yellowstone? And you're like, well, I don't know. It's volcanoes and trees, bears and rivers, and boiling water, geysers. You can tell them all those things. But, I mean, on, in that little piece of God's property, God has married all these different pieces of nature. And you can't appreciate it until you've seen it. It's the same way with Jesus Christ. Man, when I tell people I'm a Christian or I follow Christ, or this, they don't know what I mean. In fact, they connect me with, with everything that, that I don't mean by saying I'm a Christian, you know? And so my challenge as a Christian is to, is to say, hey, this, this, is, this is how awesome Jesus is. He marries together justice and mercy. He overcomes sin with forgiveness. He he loves me when I can't even stand myself. He also is alongside me and making me holy. It's not like he stands back and just lets me do whatever I want. He's a caring Lord and Savior. And my Father is a caring God. I don't do life alone. I do life with my Father, with the Son, with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is definitely big enough. He's bigger than me, big enough to save us. And as the larger Jesus is in our imagination, not our imagination, but our understanding, our comprehension, the, the, the smaller our problems are going to be. And so here's the realization before I wrap this sermon up. Sometimes my problems are so big they fill me with worry and anxiety. I don't know how I'm going to do these things. And I realized as I was writing this message, the epiphany I had was this. When I let my problem get larger than Jesus, I start worshiping my problem. Come on, isn't that exactly what we do? I mean, what is worship? It's it's attention, it's focus, it's intensity, it's sacrifice, it's giving, it's figuring out how to worship, it's making time for worship, it's engaging in worship. What happens when we worry about a problem? We make time for it, we think about it, it consumes our thoughts, we spend money on it, we schedule our life around it. It's the same thing as worship. The problem with that worship is, is that the center of it is the problem. When Jesus died on the cross to be the center my life and to be larger than my problems so as we sit here together and we think through this text and we look at one of the most majestic scriptures in the word about Jesus Christ and who he is 
I, I want to ask you a simple question. I don't want to make the message shallow because this is a big Jesus we're talking about. But I also want to make it really applicable to you. What is your problem that is so big that it outshines and shadows Jesus in your life? And what are you going to do about it? Because here's what I think you should do about it. I think you should do what Paul said you should do about it, which is in verse 23. You must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world, and I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. What is Paul telling us to do? You must continue to believe. You have to start believing that Jesus is bigger than your problem, folks. That nothing is impossible with God. That Jesus can work in your life and turn it around, whatever it is, even if it's hopeless. God is an expert at turning around hopeless problems. That's why I love the Bible, man. It's filled with these absolutely hopeless scenarios, and God shows up, and poof, it's not hopeless anymore. It's miraculous. In fact, if you think about it long enough, you realize that God actually needs a hopeless situation so he can do something miraculous. So everybody in the problem, this room that has a problem, you're actually a miracle being birthed. You're just, oh, I, I don't think I'd have sat still for that, actually. I think I'd have said amen or something. <laughs> something. You are actually an opportunity for God to show up and do something miraculous. And I, I know, I know you're like, if you're like me, often I'm praying like, God, I know you can but I'm not sure you will. Oh my goodness, we are so lame. <laughs> Has it ever occurred to you that God wants to bless you? He wants to. Wants to step in your life. Wants to turn the situation around. Wants to bring you closer to himself. Believe. Start believing God is a good God. And that the problem I, that I might be in isn't his fault, but rather an opportunity for him to reveal his goodness to me. Believe. Start believing. Paul says, you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it and don't drift away from it. Also, let me just add the second word I want to before I get to that last point of Paul's is simply receive. Sometimes it's a matter of belief. We come to a point where we believe Jesus is bigger than our problems. We believe Jesus is bigger than our sin. Whatever state that we are, we believe it. But then we have to move into a place where we can receive it. And what does that, what does that mean? I'm not sure I can make that real easy for you. But it's simply this. God wants to save you. So you need to, in your heart, in your mind, emotionally, mentally, intellectually, spiritually, open up and say, okay, God, I'm, I'm ready to be blessed. Now you're sitting going, well, I, don't, I do that. Well, no, we don't. We really have a hard time letting go of our problems. We really have a hard time because we, we, we feel like we need to fix them ourselves. Here's a little trick I work on. I'm not always good at it. Do you realize sometimes you can defer a decision? Not everything has to be figured out today. Did you know that? Jesus provided enough grace, enough mercy, and enough bread in the Old Testament for today. Some of us have problems that there isn't a thing we can do about them today. So today, rather than worry about the problem, we could worship Jesus. We could receive his strength for the day. We could receive his love. We could receive the fact that he accepts us. He wants to do good in us. We could start receiving. I think that's the most powerful part of worship and prayer in my life recently. It may not be in your life at the point you are in but I find that in prayer, I'm receiving. And God fills me, does things through me and in me that I desperately need for the day. You know, it's, it's been proven that, you know, our days can be ruined with one bad moment. A flat tire, a, a, a crossword, and our whole day can be toast. So I recommend rather than starting your day with Facebook or the news or any of those things, start on your knees. Go right first thing in the morning and receive what you need for the day. It will probably armor you for the difficult things that are coming later. So we need to believe, we need to receive, and then most importantly, and Paul says, we have to stay. You must continue to believe this truth. Stand. Don't drift away. This is why we worship. This is why 
we worship. Oh, how I wish I could help you make worship a bigger part of your life. And I'm not just talking music. I love music. I worship with music. But I'm talking God having our attention. I'm talking sitting in the throne room with your father and experiencing his glory. I know you think, well, he's, he's probably crazy. If this is crazy, sign me up. I'd rather be in the presence of God, experience his glory, than in the presence of my problems, experiencing their misery. So believe that Jesus is all that Paul says he is. Receive it into your life and stay there. Don't leave this big Jesus. As I conclude this morning, uh, I'm going to go ahead and ask the worship team and the prayer, guys, prayer teams to come up. Any Sunday I speak, I know that there are people that are facing challenging problems. And I want to challenge you to do something about them today. So we're going we're gonna to worship and we're going to sing a song about how big God is. While we're doing that, these prayer teams over on my right, and if we need more, we'll get them there, are ready to pray with you about your problem. You see, if you come to church with your problem and you leave church with your problem, you didn't really make any progress. But if you come together, because we're here to hurt, to help each other, to encourage each other, if we come together and we let someone else encourage us, we let someone else speak into our life. I know, I live in Wyoming and we cowboy up and we handle it. And it's not really working for us, is it? And so as we go into the season of worship, there's some folks that are available over here that can pray you don't even have to tell them your problem. You can just say, I have a problem. And they can pray a big Jesus over that problem. Father, we love you. You love us. We love you because you love us. Lord, right now, I know you are presenting yourself in the various hearts and minds. I've been through the whole message. You've, you've connected at different places. You're so... It's so beautiful to watch you work. Lord, if I, my prayer request is this. Please don't let anyone leave with their problem bigger than it was when they came in or just as big. But Lord, that you would magnify yourself over their problem. I pray for the life here that hasn't trusted you yet. Trusting Jesus is still a problem for them. And that's a big problem. I pray that today you've magnified yourself. And they've realized that you're bigger than their problems. You're bigger than their sins, bigger than their mistakes. They're not defined by the things they've done. They're defined by the price that was paid for them. I pray that you encourage this flock today. In Jesus' name, let's stand together. The depths of the sea, creations revealing your majesty. From the colors of fall to the fragrance of spring, 